Good morning, you all. If I was still in Texas, say I'd say good morning, y'all. Okay, all right. Welcome to Pierce Point. Thank you for joining us as we uh, gather to worship the God who is worthy, to hear from His Word, to let Him shape us with it. Isn't that fun? Wow. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have some fun. Now, if I'm the only one who has fun today, my day will not be wasted, okay? But we will have fun, and I'm hoping God will not only give us information, but inspiration, because the world's a tough place out there, but it's really nice to know who's in charge, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we pause for a moment just to bow before your throne. Much of the world ignores you, but all those who have a brain but know what's real bow their hearts and minds to the God who is. You are worthy. And so, Father, we bow before your throne acknowledging that you are in charge. You have a plan. You will accomplish it. We thank you that seated at your right hand is your son who bears scars to allow us to have a participation role in your plan. We praise you for your spirit that proceeds from father and son to accomplish your work. We pray that you would have your way in every human heart today, but also, Lord, that you would vanquish the powers to keep them from just bugging us today. And so, Lord, this morning, we just ask your blessing that you would accomplish your mission in our hearts. Be honored, be glorified be applauded. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray, amen. December 3rd, this past December 3rd, the Kennedy Honors were in Washington, D.C. The President of the United States and a bunch of other dignitaries, media, politics, gathered in Washington at the Kennedy Center to honor some very well-known people in media, entertainers, Billy Crystal, the comedian, pretty funny guy, Queen Latifah, Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees, staying alive, staying alive, ooh, ooh, okay, I'm sorry, guys, that's it, I'm done, oh, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, Rick, I didn't want to offend you, Rick, all right, sorry, all right, um, Dionne Warwick, okay, older folks would know her wonderful voice. Um, one that I didn't know, Renee Fleming, one of the great opera uh, voices, soprano voices in the modern era. They all gathered, and for hours, these distinguished guests and the, those gathered uh, recounted the achievements of these entertainers, and they applauded 
numerous standing ovations. They applauded with both body, hand, and voice. And for all that Pilly Crystal has done, I'm going to ask this congregation to do something. I need a timer. I need somebody to give me 30 seconds on their watch. Who's got my timer? Um, this, is a vol- this is a participatory experience, okay? So, all right, all right. Okay, Jack, you got the timer, 30 seconds. Congregation, if you know this God that I'm going to talk about for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand up, body, hand, and voice, and just give him a standing ovation for 30 seconds, and Jack's going to let us know when the 30's over. Everybody stand up. Okay. Okay. Let us know. Okay. It does. You may be seated. Sermon's over. No, I was kidding. Okay. This morning. We want to give God a standing ovation because of what he has done for you and me through Jesus Christ. He is worthy. And I'm going to introduce you to chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, and if you have your Bible, turn there. The book of Ephesians declares the glory of Christ's church. God's one new humanity in Christ. God is about something. You remember Humpty Dumpty? What all the king's horses and all king's men could not do, God is doing. He's doing it through Christ, the king. His purpose in the book of Ephesians is to declare the glory of Christ's church this one new humanity, but he wants to set forth the implications of Christ's rule, his cosmic rule, for the church. Paul is going to make this crazy claim in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment in terms of how radical this would be for Paul's audience when he preached in Ephesus, recorded in Acts chapter 19. But Paul is going to set forth the implications. Notice verse um, 10 of chapter 1. Paul says that God made known to us, that is the apostles, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. What is that plan, God? Here it is, verse 10. Verse 10 is arguably the most important single magnet text in the entire book of Ephesians. It's all going to work out from here. God's plan is to put into effect when times reach their fulfillment. God has a plan. Do you realize all the gods in the ancient world, not one of them had a plan. You can study all the gods of Egypt and Mesopotamia and Rome and Greece. 
No God with a plan. One God with a plan. Now, you could be an atheist. That's your business. But you cannot argue this simple point. There is no other God recorded anywhere who has an actual plan and is doing something. Do you hear me? But his plan, verse 10, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under whom? Under Christ. One head. He's bringing the entire universe under Christ. But hold it. Does it look that way to you? In 2024, does it look like that? No, but the only pl- the, the actual place where it's actually supposed to be putting on display is the church. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be this living reality, not just a figure of speech, not just a metaphor, but the actual display of the rule of the Messiah now. So when this community behaves with Christ as conductor, the world out there goes, that's pretty interesting music. I've never heard that before. So the whole mission, the book of Ephesians, is to set forth this whole reality of what difference does it make to you and to me that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and God's got this. Okay? Chapters 1 to 3 set forth this amazing declaration of our new identity. Who in the world are we in Christ? Chapters 4, 5, and 6 answer this question. So what? What difference does it make to how I relate to others in my world? Those in the body of Christ those under my own household, those whom I work with, work for, or who work for me. Oh, by the way, what about my relationship to the cosmic forces of the universe who have not bowed yet? Oh, we're going to talk about that too. Chapters 1 to 3, who am I? Chapters 4 to 6, you're God's kid, begin to live like it. Verses 1 to 2. If you have your Bible, join with me. I'm reading for the NIV, but uh, I'm going to make a whole lot of comments about other options, okay? First, we're going to look at Paul's mail. We're going to actually get a little look into Paul's mail. He's writing a letter. Verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be very brief here. I've got to watch my clock. That's not the right one. I'm not doing a workout right now. Sheesh. This crazy phone, I'm still trying to figure it out. All right. There we go. All right. Actually, I guess I am doing a workout in some ways. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a nerd, so what, what do you do? All right. Um, Paul. Now, as Nathan mentioned last week, um, there are some scholars who doubt whether or not Paul wrote this. Two points. One, prove it. And the reason I say, and, and I'm not flipping about this, but I want you to understand something. You, if you hold a Bible in your hand, I want you to understand how significant it is that the New Testament that you're reading has more, literary, more support for the actual reading of that text than any ancient document. Did you know that? 
So when you read that translation, don't think, don't buy into the story that, oh, no, it's been translated this one, this one. Hold it. It's been translated from the Greek texts. We know what Paul wrote. And by the way, there's not one Greek manuscript, and there are thousands of them that include Ephesians. There's not one. How many? Not one that actually do not include the name Paul to start the book. So if you're a scholar and we're having this wonderful debate, you say, well, it doesn't sound like Paul. I go, have you not read Colossians? Colossians is a companion. They go together to when Paul is writing from prison, he sends them together. And Philemon, by the way, gets to write too. But if you read Colossians and you read Ephesians and you say, the same guy couldn't have written them, I go, what are you smoking? I'm sorry. That's too, that's too flippant. My point is the burden is on you. Paul wrote it. Now, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. You know what that means? He is a chosen special representative of God to represent Jesus Christ to the world. Implication? This is not a fairy tale. This is official business. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to go, what are you going to say, Paul? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is directed to you in official ways. To whom? To God's holy people. Many of your texts say saints. Guess what saint means? Holy people. Well, good translation. We're going to see this a little bit more in a moment. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are saint. Meet Saint Saint Nate. Well, sorry, she says, let me argue about that. Um, If you are a follower of Jesus, you are set apart to him. That's what it means. You're his set apart people. In fact, one of the implications of this book is what difference does it make to be set apart to God? What's going to affect our lifestyle? Holy people in Ephesus, in Ephesus. Now, Nate also asked me to mention this. We're going to talk about this a little bit. In Ephesus. Now, if you look at your, uh, your English translation, many of them have a little note there, right? You see it? And it says, many early manuscripts do not include this. First, I want to talk about the word many. Guess how many? One, two, three. Three manuscripts do not include it. Now, we will acknowledge that they're old. I will acknowledge that. They're old. But note this. Many of the same, that those same manuscripts, well, one is Sinaiticus, which that's another the whole point, but another version of Sinaiticus actually includes it. The earliest version of Sinaiticus does not. Now, here's what's interesting. This is a little bit of geek's world here, so this comes with the territory. Guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, good. Um, But because you have so many Greek manuscripts to support, we can actually do something called literary criticism. That means, don't think criticism, think analysis. Literary analysis. We can learn what is the probable reading of a a text. Um, But guess what? There are a couple of different things regarding literary uh, criticism, or uh, yeah, textual criticism is the word I want. One is how far this reading has been spread. Remember, in Ephesus is found in the Antioch region of texts, the Egypt region of texts, and also uh, the uh, Western or Rome world of texts. It's widespread, early. Um, 
I would argue that there's enough support. And by the way, remember those three manuscripts I mentioned? Guess what's at the top of every one of them? Pros epheus to the Ephesians. Hmm. All I'm saying is, all right, we can debate it, but the reality is um, it's highly probable, likely, it is actually meant, included in the text. Now, even if it were not, one of the cool things is Colossians chapter um, 4, at the end, makes reference, to, to, forgive me, to a text that uh, Paul had written uh, that the Laodiceans were supposed to be uh, reading and spreading around. It's probable this is Ephesians. Why? Because Paul spent three years in Ephesus. It's the longest single ministry any time in his life. And from there, it says in Acts chapter 19 that the word of the Lord, the message about Christ, the Messiah, went through the entire Asia Minor region. The church at Colossae would be formed. The church at Laodicea would be formed. Had Paul ever showed up? No. Those churches arose because of the preaching of Paul to other people who went and started them. And so when Paul writes Ephesians, he's writing it to the church at Ephesus, but also intending it to be spread out and read to all the churches. Am I making sense? So when you pick up your New Testament, read it through the lens of Ephesus, knowing that it goes to you as well. It spreads to you. It spreads to me. Oh, yeah, cool. The Ephesians. I think we have a slide here about this. Um, and i got to move. I need my vitamin pills again. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, as I said, Paul spent three years in Ephesus. Anybody here know the story of an ugly duckling? Think about this. This duck, he thought he was a duck. He lived like a duck. All he knew is he was a big, awkward, ugly duck. His perspective of his identity was totally shaped by his understanding of who he was in the world he inhabited. There's a wonderful book I recommend um, called The Anatomy of the Soul by Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson about, talks about how the, the human mind is, works. That we all have a story that we think we're living in. We all have a role in that story that we think we take. And it's based upon uh, how we're brought up, the culture environment where we are living, the things we're told. We learn what it matters, how we get good stuff, how we avoid bad stuff, how we fit into the whole scheme of the world. And our identity is shaped by that. One day, the duck sees a swan and goes, wow, how beautiful, how amazing. And then one day, he sees a reflection in the lake and goes, I'm a swan? 
His entire world has just changed. Does this make sense to you? If you think this world is a box and a machine, you're a cog in the wheel. You wake up, you go, you clock in, and you go, okay, next machine. I eat it, I feed it, I sex it, I do whatever else I can. I'm a machine. That's what I do. Now, Ephesus, you see the temple there. This is the third missionary, uh, yeah, it actually starts in the second missionary journey. But Paul is going to spend three years here. And I want to talk about uh, Artemis for a moment. This is the temple of Artemis. And the next slide will show you uh, two things about her. One, on the left, she's the goddess of the hunt. She's also known by Rome as Diana. But she's the god who protects virgins. Because she has pledged to Zeus, there's no way she's ever going to get touched. She's a perpetual virgin. And you know what? Any other virgin out there, if you want to be protected, you're going to wear an amulet on your wrist in silver that says, Artemis, you touch me, she's going to kill you. And if you don't think she can, think Xena warrior. She's bad. In fact, she's the best uh, archer in the universe. The only one close is her brother Apollo, the sun god. And by the way, she's the moon goddess. But she's also the goddess of midwifery. You see that image on the right? It's funny because those uh, round things, uh, as early as Jerome, Jerome saw these and he went, they got to be breasts. Therefore, she must be a fertility goddess, mother goddess kind of thing. Um, but you know what? Recent research has shown they're not breasts at all. You know what they are? They're magic sacks. What's that? Well, it means if you want anything good to happen, you actually um, have a dream or a, a, something you want to happen, and you write it down, and you put it, and you give it to Artemis, and guess what? She's going to make it happen. So if you want anything good to happen, talk to Artemis. And by the way, if you are a woman um, of childbearing age, remember that um, this is probably the greatest risk you have to your own life is to have a baby. In fact, you have to have five of them just to keep the population at zero. So if you have wearing that amulet, by the way, how many of you have a, a, a cross on your neck or on your person? You get it? They would do the same thing, they're, but they're wearing Artemis. You know how the, uh, um, what's the, uh, oh, what's it called? The doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Well, guess what? How, you know how they would sing that? Praise Artemis from whom all blessings flow. That's, that's the story. But here comes this Jew who comes into Ephesus and says, hold the bus. I'm going to tell you an ugly duckling story. I'm going to tell you that, um, you know what? The world that you think you're living in, you know, the uh, reality that you think you're going to live in, I'm going to change it. I'm going to tell you about a, um, this great God creator, the God of Israel, is the true God. He made everything. But he sent his son, who died on a Roman cross, hold it. The Romans crucified gobs of people. 
But this was the actual Son of God, the living God, who died for your sins and rose again from the dead to prove he was who he claimed to be. And here's the big story. And if you trust in him, if you believe in him, put your hope in him, the person, guess what? You're right with the God of the universe. You are now a swan. Your life has totally changed. And everything that you think you are is now radically different. And it's going to take a long time for you to figure this out and work this out. If you read the book of Acts, uh, Acts 19, you'll notice something. Magic is so pervasive in this culture that even after a year of Paul preaching, they finally show up and go, okay, magic and Jesus worship, not compatible. He is the Lord. I don't need to hedge my bets. I can trust in him. I can live this out. And what do they do? 50,000 drachma worth of magic books they bring. They burn them up, light up the sky. You and I have so little clue about the implication if we actually understand the story, the implications of it on our life. Ephesians is written to correct this, to help us. Let's move. Oh my gosh, this thing keeps back and going back to my workout. Okay. So I got to jump now. Okay, sorry. All right. Uh, all right. Turn this page. All right. Here we go. Now I've got to move. Let's see. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. One of the seven wonders of the world. Black Kia, this would be you. Bye. Okay. No, no shame. No shame. Okay. All right. Um, Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, notice the Temple of Artemis at the top, right here to the right. That is the Parthenon. Athena, Greece, Athens. Notice how uh, tiny it is compared to uh, the Temple of Artemis. Has anybody here ever floated in on a boat? into uh, New York Harbor and seen the Statue of Liberty? Okay, you have, okay. This would be um, so huge on the top of a mountain, you could be 60 miles away at night and see it lit up and you go, there's the Temple of Artemis. It's the Central Bank of Asia. It's the only bank in the world that actually had armed guards to protect it. Nations had their wealth in here. This is such a part of the culture. You have to understand that Diana or Artemis, which is what we will be using, Artemis and Caesar are the two big names. Caesar is Lord. He's divine Caesar. But Artemis, she is the most important. Caesar important, Artemis more important. Both right there. Here we go. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in, heavenly, in, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 3. Praise be. Bless be. Um, anybody about ready to sneeze? Go ahead. We need you to do that for us. Because everybody else is going to do what? Bless you. Okay. Uh, we use blessing like that. And what we mean is may God protect you, okay, if you sneeze again, right? Or protect us from getting sick from because of you. All right, anyway. Um, blessing. But the word bless here is actually the word uh, eulogia, 
we get eulogy from it. Now, when you and I use eulogy, it's almost always a funeral setting when we speak nice about somebody, right? But the actual word simply means to speak well of somebody. Now, I mentioned uh, the uh, Kennedy Honors earlier. That's a great context and illustration of that, where you actually declare what somebody's done. Wonderful things. Now, Paul is here. He is not actually, this is an adjective. What's the difference between a verb and an adjective? Well, if I say, oh, there, is the, there are the Rockies. I've seen them for the very first time. They are beautiful. The word beautiful is an adjective. I'm describing something. When it says, blessed be the God and Father of all Jesus, it's describing him. He is worthy of being praised. It's simply true of him. And when you actually understand what he's like, you will do this. You will do what the Kennedy Honors did for all those other folks. You're going to stand and go, whoa, you are blessed. You are blessed worthy. Why? Because he made us blessed wealthy. Notice verse 3. The God and Father of all Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, that's the verb to bless, in the heavenly realms with every what? Spiritual blessing in Christ. You get this? God is blessed worthy because he has made us blessed wealthy. He's loaded us with stuff. Now, he's going to describe. This is, by the way, the main verb, the main text, uh, the main controlling idea. Verses 3 to 14 are over 200 words of one sentence in the original language. Older uh, scholars called it monstrous because there are very, almost no examples like this in Greek literature. But you know what recent scholarship has shown? Um, this kind of pattern is found a whole lot of places in Qumran literature in context of doxology, worship of God. You know why? Because the Jewish people thought that God was so worthy of praise that they would string long lists of blessing to him. The Jews were a blessing machine. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech I was able to use a little Hebrew and spray on Nate. Sorry about that, chief. All right. Um, Baruch, Baracha, blessing. That's what this is coming from. It's, the, it's the, uh, the attitude of the human heart that acknowledges he is worthy at all times for all things that he has done. But now Paul is going to get specific. Oh, Lord, I'm in real trouble. Thank you. All right. Um, Verse 4. Verses 4 to um, 14, he's going to enumerate. He's going to enumerate why God is so worthy of blessing. Why should we stand and give him an ovation? And by the way, eternity is going to include a whole lot of that. Three things. The Father will have chosen us for adoption. The Father's chosen us. The Son, in verses 7 to 12, has redeemed us by the cost of His own blood. And the Spirit of the living God has sealed us in Christ for eternity. Chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. Bless his name. Well, let's, <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, Lord, you know. Here we go. 
Verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us in him. He chose us in Christ. The word choose means actually to elect. The word elect means to choose. Now, how many of you, um, as soon as I say the word elect, you begin to go into a cold sweat? Ah, okay, election. When I was a, uh, <laughs> a first-year seminary student at Dallas Theological Seminary, summer school class, it was before, <laughs> there was a break between these four-hour classes. You know, I was sitting there, and um, I just missed uh, this fist fight between two seminary students. I was in the right place, right? Wow. Um, you know what, over? The Ordo Salutis. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It's the order of salvation. It simply means what order did God decree stuff, all right? I want you to understand something, a couple things. And I'm going to run out of time, and I don't know how I'm going to work this out, because I'm just, I don't know, okay? I'm, I'm not winging it, but I'm going to have to, yeah, do something here. Um, but... Here's my point. Let me at least make this point, and then I'm going to land the plane. Um, election is a biblical idea that always ends in two things. One, celebration. Three things. Two, inspiration. You're elect, so hang in there. Or three, Correction, your elect, act like it. There is not one text in the entire biblical material that uses the concept of election addressed to anyone but the elect. Did you know that? Not one. Not one. Now, we as humans want to take a biblical material throw onto it questions that the biblical material has zero interest in answering. And when I teach biblical hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible, one of the most important questions you have to ask is what is the question the text really attempts to address? Because if we do not do that, you know what we have a tendency to do? We all want to hear God's Word, right? We all want to know what God has to say. But the moment I impose my question onto it, you see what's happening? I'm actually requiring it to answer a question that it has no intention to answer. For example, if you and I drive up and down 125, we're going to find churches that so emphasize the sovereignty of God to the once extreme that he's going to punch the button. You're in, you're out. From eternity past, oh, you're one. Oh, you're not one. <laughs> okay. Hold it. Or you go to the other end. Oh, free will. I can choose to get out. In and I can choose to get out. Eh. What if we're simply going, you guys have both fallen into um, the trap of the evil one's really smart idea that a human being can't handle um, the stress of simply letting God figure this out. Now, here's my point of this text. Paul is going, if you understand election in any other way than to bring you to celebration and gratitude and worship, you've missed it. Are you hearing me? 
The question is, I had a professor when I was teaching in uh, Grand Rapids. I had a professor from Grand Valley State University come in and sit down at my desk and simply go like this. Hey, good to see you. What's up? Never met the guy in my life. You know what his question was? This is Christian Reformed world, by the way. Dutch Reformed world. How do I know I'm elect? Great question. Have you believed? Well, yes. Guess what? Welcome to the family. Goodness gracious, Lord. All right. I got to get a little further than this. But I'm going to just read this text. I'm going to make a couple points. We're going to watch a little video, and then I'm going to make an application. Does that sound good? Give me a grace. Okay, here we go. Um, oh, Lord. All right. He chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world to be what? Holy and blameless. Set apart to him, blameless. Live like it so there's nothing between us. This is relational. Blameless in his sight. Notice your uh, own translation. In love. Now, if you have a uh, King James, in love is at the end of verse 3. He, walk uh, blameless before him in love. That is to walk uh, like a, a Christian. To live like it. Now, Ephesians 4, 1 and following would support that. I, however, and um, I don't know if I've got this slide. Uh, let's see. Um, the one with Deuteronomy 7 on it. I don't know if I've got that slide. anywhere. Cool. Um, some of your translations, like the NIV that I have here, the ESV, the grammar, by the way, kind of supports in love at the end of verse 4 in terms of the normal pattern of but I would, one, the grammar allows for this interpretation, this reading of this text that I'm getting ready to support. But what makes it strongly helpful for me is that Paul is going to go out of his way in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 to, for you and me to understand this un immeasurable love of God. But what really clenched it for me is Deuteronomy 7. Look at this text right here. It says, the Lord did not set his affection on you, Israel, and choose you, see our word? You see it there? Because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord, what? Loved you. The link between choosing and love and motivation, in my mind, is extremely clear in, in Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8, and I'm going to talk about six, uh, verse 6 a little later on. But this links it. God chose from all the options. By the way, the word choose simply means to choose knowing all the options. It was used of a person looking in a mirror and going, hey, there's a gray hair. I choose it and take it out. It knows all the options. When we think of choosing, we think of the NFL draft. We think of finding the best Joe Burrows who can actually stay healthy. All right? Um, sorry. But we think of the next draft choice is going to help us, right? But what does Paul say here? I believe it's like the NIV. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure of his will. Oh, no, we got predestination. Hold the bus. Back up again. Let the old guy talk. I hope you're getting something. There's a picture here. Paul is actually painting a picture. This amazing story of this God 
who created, who wanted a human family. Adam and Eve, here we are. He didn't need us, but he had so much love in himself. He says, i got to do something with this. So I'm going to create humans to love me back. I'm going to love them. But what did our first parents do? We're going to rebel against you. We're going to commit high treason against you. You're not the source of good stuff. We're going to go invent it. They get kicked out of Eden. They're removed from the presence of God. Now, does God go, oh, no, I didn't see that coming? God had a plan because he wanted the human family, and he launched this redemption plan. By the way, choosing, he chose Abraham. He chose Israel. He chose David. He chose a Messiah who is going to come from David, through whom he's going to do all this stuff. God is a choosing God. But the point of this, he has a plan. He predestines. Predestined simply means he chooses with an intention. That's all. He didn't choose you, oh, well, no. His intention is to predestine us to become his children, his adopted children, so that we will actually end up becoming just like his great eternal son. We're going to look like him. We're going to act like him. We're going to behave like him. We're going to love God like him. And we're going to please the Lord just like him. So nobody is going to have to go, oh, you need to be a good boy or girl today because you're a Christian. You go, Father, I so love you. I get the privilege of calling you Father. How can I please you today, Lord? Help me, Holy Spirit, to become the man or woman, the young person that will really make you smile when you think of me. I want this, Lord. Help me. That's the person we become. But he chose us. Before the foundation was, he was already thinking about you. He was already thinking about me. But he chose us to become like his son. But there was a problem here, y'all. Back to my Dallas roots. Y'all, okay. It would be called sin. We're the rubble. Now, it's interesting, um, the Old Testament and New Testament both, one image of the concept of sin is debt. You know that. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debt. All right? When you and I are born in the United States, you realize you are born in hock. The national debt, you're never going to pay it, but you owe it. Okay, there we go. Um, we're in debt, but we also contribute our own debt every single day. Debt, debt, debt. Now, the one point that Jesus makes is, guess what? You don't have enough to pay this. You don't. But I'm going to redeem you. But in order to adopt you, I've got to redeem you first. We have a little video I want you to see as we get to it. I'm going to ask you of your indulgence. Now, as we prepare for here, uh, adoption, do not think orphan Annie. Our culture, we adopt because we either we, we, we're a family, we're a couple, we don't have the ability to have children, we want a child. That's the American Western way of doing this. That has nothing to do with the Roman Western and the way the Ephesian, Asian minor understanding would be. If you think adoption in the ancient world, think Ben-Hur. And to help you think Ben-Hur, I'm going to show you a little Ben-Hur, all right? So here we are with the help of our friends.
Not long ago, I returned to Rome with a young man who had saved my life. You all know him as the finest charioteer in Rome. Five times he's driven my horses to victory. I know him as one who stands in the place of the son I lost. I have the love and pride in a son's achievements, which I thought I should never have again. Nothing could make stronger the bond between us, but tonight I wish to share it with you all. The formalities of adoption have been completed. Young Arius is now the legal bearer of my name and the heir to my property. This ring of my ancestors would have gone to my son. So now it is yours. Paul was writing to the Ephesian believers and that region when they were told, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He adopted us through his son. Understand something. A slave could not be adopted. The debt of the slave had to be paid. Remember how he said the procedures have been done, all the legalities have been done. They went to a temple, and in Ephesus it would have been a temple of Artemis. The slave owner would have paid the amount that that slave was valued, like a car. He's worth X. He's worth this. They would have paid it. And then the priest of Artemis would have wrote, written on a, and if we have the slide, I don't know if we have this slide here, the little picture of a guy. Um, mm -hmm. There we go, to the right. Um, he would actually be given this um, decree of liberation. And there would be this fiction that Artemis had freed him. And it would be written an actual name that this person has actually been gone, taken from property to a person. And they would carry this document with them because others would say, you are safe. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. All their debt had been paid and now they are liberated and free. And now, only now, they can be adopted. Do you see the image here? Paul is saying, God wanted you in his family. But hold it. I messed up. I got all this stuff. God's got this. 
He wanted you in his family, and he adopted you through his son's own blood. That's what it costs to get you liberated. So if you think you can pay for that, you're out of your mind. You don't have enough. But then our identity has been changed from slave to son and daughter of the great king. I hope you're getting some of this. I'm going to have to give you cliff notes for the next uh, rest of this. Let me get through it. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure. All of this, by the way, is pleasing to God. This is not a God going in, out, This is a picture of this amazing God who's so generous and so overwhelmed. You know what grace means? God's riches at Christ's expense. Everybody knows that. It means, um, what's the other? um, Anyway, it's essentially giftedness. It's someone who gets crazy inside because of their character when they give stuff. I know people who are so overwhelmed inside just because of their generosity. They love to give stuff without ever being known about it. That's God. Not based on getting anything back, but because that's the way He is. He's gracious. The word gift actually is linked to the word grace, charis, karen. Um, if your name is Karen, guess what? You're a gift. But this is a, rooted in God Himself. He is this gracious God. Now what's fun is, notice this, he says his plan is to bring everything under one head, verse 10. In him we were chosen. Don't have time to go into that. I'd like a better translation. Don't have time. Verses um, 4 to 6, God chose us. Verses um, 7 to 12, it's all in his son. Verses um, 14 and 15, I've got to wrap up with this. Uh, Verse 13 for connection. You were included in Christ when you heard, actually after hearing, after you heard the word of truth, the true word, the true message, the good news, the gospel of your salvation. The word gospel is good news, but the good news content, salvation, that's the good news. Now, we don't have to guess what Paul's message is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's writing from Ephesus. Paul's message is simple. Christ died for our sin and rose again. And you can, be, uh, 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 you can actually be right with God by trusting in Christ. That's a simple. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we declare it to you, Paul says. But having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were what? Marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of the, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The Father chose us. The Son redeemed us by His blood. We're adopted into God's forever family. But we're sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Now, the image of sealing, a couple things here. Um, you can go ahead and move, move forward on the slide. S- Sealing in the ancient world had two primary ideas connected to it. One is ownership and two is security. It's always been the case. 
If you, and by the way, you see that big uh, container to the right? It's about this tall. And if you're going to ship uh, seeds to the right, see the seeds are still fertile 2,000 years later. That's how good these seals are. But if you're going to ship this, you would put a stopper in the top and you'd pour wax, very thick wax all over it. And you would take your seal on your hand or an actual stamp seal and go, you know what that, I recognize two things. One, you own this. This right here is my little um, Centrum bottle, okay? Centrum, ownership. It identifies the owner, the maker here. But if I do this, guess what I have here? You know what it says? Sealed for your protection. Get it? Paul says, when you actually heard this, mess- this true message, the good news, salvation, oh, by the way, it's in Christ who died for your sin and rose again from the dead. You trust in him. You are delivered. And all the good stuff you thought Artemis was going to get, no, 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 you're really going to get it, and you're going to get it from him. Eternal life, right with God. Forgiveness of sins, it's all in him. Oh, by the way, remember he actually adopted you? He's going to share with you family forever to make sure this happens? He's going to stamp you with a seal of ownership. It's the Holy Spirit of the living God who's just stamped you and sealed you in Christ forever. Isn't that cool? Wow. So pick up your heel, take your shoe off, and see the little stamp there. Okay, I'm sorry. I got to have fun. Here's my point. It's in Christ. Sealing guarantees that God's going to complete the work. Our primary guarantee of security is the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul will elsewhere say, we have this seal. God knows who are His. Now, you can walk an aisle, you can make a confession, you can do all that stuff, and all that's wonderful, but understand something. The only thing that truly identifies and guarantees your eternal arrival is the presence of the living God in you because you trusted in Jesus Christ genuinely. And if you do, I want you to take this wonderful deep breath and go, I'm right with God. I'm safe. I'm going to arrive home. And I can actually live my life today knowing that's true. Whatever your position on election, if it doesn't end up in worship, it's wrong. And understand something else. I didn't make much of this, but spiritual blessings, notice I mentioned that spiritual blessings stuff. You guys know uh, Jeff Bezos, Amazon. Bill Gates, Microsoft. Elon Musk. What do they have in common? Well, they're five of the richest, three of the richest people on the planet They can own small countries if they choose to. But you know what? Not one of them has enough to buy a father-child relationship with the one true God. And if you know Jesus Christ, guess what? You're already richer than all of them. They can't buy forgiveness of sins. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're richer than all of them put together. And you know what? They can't buy security 
and eternity with God. You've got something that none of them can buy. Now remember something, Paul's first audience, half of them went home to a slave master that owned them. Literally owned them. But can you imagine coming out of that house church, having heard this section read to you, and you walk out going, whoo, that's me, that's what I've got, I'm so wealthy, Caesar got nothing on me. When I started this sermon, I talked about the uh, Kennedy Honors. Renee Fleming, I didn't even know who she was, to be honest with you. So I had to do a little like this Google stuff like everybody else does. And you know what? I I found out uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. You're right. Okay. Return of the King won a whole lot of Academy Awards, right? But there was a theme song in that called Twilight and Shadow. Do you remember this um, scene where uh, Frodo and Sam, they've accomplished the mission of dropping the, uh, the ring into the flames of Mordor? Some of you guys, this guy is a real geek. I, I know, I, I get it. Just check it out. But anyway, and they're successful, but they're now on this mountain, and the, it's earthquake time, it's volcano time. It's like, okay, they're, de- they're doomed, right? I mean, I know you, some of you remember the scene. But then all of a sudden, here comes these, big giant eagles in the air, right? And all of a sudden, the scene changes and slows down, and you hear this voice, twilight and shadows. It's an elvish. And if you close your eyes, when you hear that beautiful soprano voice, if you do not either get inspired or cry, you're not human. And when I heard that voice, I went, oh, that's Renee Fleming? And then it reminded me, Lord, you've got such a sense of humor, because I'm trying to talk about this stuff. And I was thinking, do you realize that J.R. Tolkien wrote the entire trilogy, A Hobbit, because he was a believer in Jesus, but he did not want to put the gospel in your face like, boom. Instead, he wanted to create a story, a great story of good and evil and the risk of uh, the loss of Middle Earth and destruction of humanity. And this great idea of the effect of the return of the king, you get it? On repairing everything. He said, I want to create in their mind connections so that when they hear the true story, they're going to go, that's it. Now, I want to finish this point. Ugly duckling story. Do you realize Paul is saying our story has totally changed. Our role in the universe has totally changed because of what Jesus has done. We are hobbits, y'all. All of us in this room. And we all have a role in what God's doing. And how do I want to end this message? Final slides. goodness. Welcome to God's forever family in Jesus Christ. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're here and you've heard all this and watched this old guy make an idiot of himself up front and you're saying, how kind of nuts, that's okay. If the spirit of the living God has wooed you and convinced you that this is true, come and see me after we're all done. Because I was where you were, where you are now. 
And I would love, and many people in here would be love, delighted to share you how you can go from having heard, believe, be sealed. You can know. Are you elect? Have you believed? Lastly, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. Let's applaud the God. <laughs> Father, you are worthy. We'll spend eternity declaring it, but help us to spend our present living it. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing something to repair the universe but first, you've done something to choose us to make us a part of your family. For that, we'll give you praise both now and forever. Through Jesus Christ, we pray.